Okay, well, we're going to continue on today. I'm going to ask Dr. Nunley to come on up with me. Now, if you noticed, he's San's wife today. There's no issue going on. When you're a public figure, people always think when your wife isn't around you, she finally left that sucker. Uh, no, she's back working, and, uh, and yeah, yeah, make sure you turn it on. Turn it on before you go. Uh, but Lacey is his wife. She'll be back here this weekend with your daughter and grandson? My granddaughter and her boyfriend. So special intersection. Oh Lord, <laughs> have mercy! Oh, you're asking about the yeah the yeah the separate mattress for another county. So yeah, I got yes. Yeah, so that's why you're asking about uh, about that. So they're all coming down to join uh, Dr. Nunley. Um, but yeah, we're we're excited to have him today. I think we have him the whole run here today. But just to remind you what we're doing, um, we're doing a, a series called Your Greatest Doubts and Fears, and we're trying to look at particulars of doubt that plague. Um, uh, people that are non-believers and people that are believers. Uh, we started by what doubt is and what the Bible says about doubt, and then we moved to what I thought was the one of the number one reasons Christians sometimes doubt, which is, oh, it's so convincing. Why don't more smart people believe it? And we engaged that question last week. This week, I think, is actually going to be the, uh, the question that plagues most non-Christians, uh, which is, uh, isn't it arrogant and intolerant to believe that you're right about, uh, about Christianity? Um, to believe that you're right about uh, about the one way to God. Uh, yeah, there we go. Does saying Jesus is the only way make us arrogant and intolerant? So you've got handouts. If you haven't got one, Taylor can bring one around to you. Uh, if you need a handout for today, that, that's the handout will be everything that's on the PowerPoint. We are uh, working. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna. Yeah, we got some coming. Uh, thanks, Taylor. Um, we are working on getting these. Uh, all of them. Uh, we've got the first one. Uh, done in audio and edited, and so we're going to put it up, and I'll put it into you in email so you can have it um, by way of audio if you want to give it to someone. Uh, I think this is really important because you can at least tell people that uh, our Sunday school class, or now we're calling them growth classes, uh, our growth classes attempted to utilize scripture to engage where people have the biggest problem with what we believe. So it's, it's, it's really, in a lot of ways, a way to show care for other people and try to meet them where they're at. But the way I wanted to open today was uh, an, an Oprah episode I saw, which, I mean, you should wonder why I was ever watching Oprah. Uh, but some years ago, um, <laughs> what was happening? Uh, I was actually on a trip, and there was nothing else on, but it caught my interest. I was flipping through the channels waiting for a group to get in. Uh, I was going to take them up, actually, from Canada to Quebec, Quebec City. It was a group of Roman Catholics that were going to go to Saint-Anne-de-Beaupré. They were going to go uh, up there and do uh, basically a pilgrimage at her at the, at the shrine. Saint-Anne is supposed to be Mary's mother, uh, so Jesus' grandmother. And in the Roman Catholic hierarchy, it's, you know, you know, bu- 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 you know the Jolly Green Giant, you know, up top. So, so I shouldn't, that's... Wait, no, that's not right. But uh, it's it's, it's kind of well. We were I was watching uh, at the hotel, uh, waiting for the, the the group to arrive, and I was going to meet them. And uh, it, it caught my interest because Oprah was talking about religion. Now you know she was raised Baptist. Um, and in the episode, Oprah had said, "Look, God is whatever you want him, her, it to be, him, her, it, or whatever to be." Uh, that's who God is to you. And everybody applauded her. Uh, you know, for a while she was called America's pastor because she came on and preached to <laughs> women that were at home at around 4 o'clock every day when she was on. Um, but what really was interesting is when it came back from commercial, she said, we're talking about religion today. And a woman stood up and said, I'm an atheist. What, what, what's up with this? I, I'm, I'm, I'm a nonbeliever. Uh, so I don't believe in God. So I, you know, she, you said everybody believes in God. And she goes, oh, you're not. She goes, no, no, I am. <laughs> I really am. She goes, no, no, you're not. 
And she goes, no, no, I am. So am I out of the group? Am I, am I not in the fold? And she's like, well, do you, have you ever fallen in love? And she goes, yeah. And she goes, well, there you go. Uh, so that's God to you. So, uh, so yeah. Now, the big thing wasn't how ridiculous that approach to understanding religion was, but the idea that Oprah thought she was an authority because she was treating religions as a non-knowledge tradition, Right? Oprah would have never had, if she was talking about diabetes, she would have had Dr. Oz on or somebody, or, or, or if it was psychology, it would have been Dr. Phil. But she felt she could say when it came to religion, there's no right, wrong, good, bads, whatever you feel at the moment. So we're going to talk about that today because this is, I think, the thing that plagues non-believers. They're like, are you really going to tell me that this person I like at my college or my coworker at work is going to end up in a negative afterlife experience, what we call hell. Um, so we're going we're gonna to look at that, and uh, if you have any opening comments, you can go ahead and say something if you'd like, Wave. And I just found it really interesting when I got this handout uh, as an attachment on email. Uh, I looked at the title, and then before I even bothered to look at the rest of it, I just got out a piece of paper and started scratching down Bible verses, and then as I page down through the handout, almost all of those Bible verses were there. So this is probably going to come off really canned, but we are so on the same page. We are. We really are. And we hear it all the time. I mean, it really is one of those things where, uh, where it's, it's something to engage. But the first thing I wanted to tell you was this. This question should not be treated as just one question. It's actually two. You can see it on your, or four. You can see it on your handout. <clears throat> this question expands out to four different questions. Sometimes the reason why we have trouble uh, dealing with something is good questions about serious things usually require you tying together answers from different disciplines. So it's always easier to ask a tough question, a couple seconds, than to give a good answer, right? So tying together answers from different disciplines takes time. Like when somebody says something like this, how long does it say to say this? Why do bad things happen to good people? We're going to actually go over that in, in one of our sessions here. But that takes seconds to ask, but if it's a good, legitimate answer without trivializing it or making it overly complex, it should take a while to answer that kind of question. Same thing here. Um, isn't it arrogant uh, and intolerant to say that Jesus is the only way? So it actually is four questions uh, or four statements in one, and that's why we sometimes talk past people. Because we, we, we treat it as one singular question, and it's actually four embedded in it. And so we're going to start with the, the first question, and I'll go ahead and get the... the the intolerance question on it. So the first question's under that number one on your uh, on your handout or Roman numeral one. So aren't Christians just intolerant, arrogant know-it-alls? So the intolerance question is the first one, which is kind of calling you a name. Um, but I wanted us to be on the same page here and deal with this first question. So the first question that really is four questions or statements in the aren't you arrogant and intolerant? How can you believe you're the only way? This comes out in a lot of different ways. Uh, are you an exclusivist? Um, aren't you? Aren't you? Aren't you the lucky ones that got the corner on truth? You've heard it that way, put that way. Um, the first thing is this is actually a flawed way of viewing religion. Um, Christians don't view religion like the world views religion. Um, from a, from a, a worldly standpoint, the word religion means man's flawed attempt to get at God, right? Um, and what we see in the Bible is God's attempt to get to man is what we see uh, in the Bible over and over and over again. So it works, you're already working with a flawed definition if you say, well, aren't you the lucky ones? Why are we the blessed ones that somehow got the corner on truth? Is arrogance and intolerance um, is the idea. This, in other words, it's not like we're saying, aren't we special? We love the fact y'all are going to hell, but that's the way it's interpreted. We don't love that fact. In fact, I, I, you know, it's, it's God's claim and it's Jesus' position 
And it's, it's logical. It makes sense. I mean, if there's a, given what we believe about God and the world, but it's not just an, it's not an arrogance and intolerance claim to say that you think you're right. And I wanted to at least get that on the table. Just to think you're right about a position you hold doesn't make you arrogant and intolerant because the person talking to you thinks they're right about what they hold. So it can't just be the fact that you're arrogant and intolerant because you think you're right about something. That everyone, everyone unless they're insane, thinks they're right about positions they hold. They think their position is truthful. <laughs> exactly. Matches reality. Any comment on the arrogance and intolerance claim before I continue on? Right. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, the first thing that I thought about this, because I've heard this claim before, you know what? You're just arrogant and you're intolerant for um, uh, believing what you believe. My thought is, by simply making that statement, aren't you being intolerant of my right to believe what I want to believe? Right, In other words, right. just kind of flipping the, <laughs> uh, the script around. Absolutely. Um, uh, another thing that I thought was that about was that uh, we are not the only boat afloat on the um, unique claims. Mm. Um, yes. Muslims all believe that their way is the only way. Absolutely. Various forms of Judaism believe yes. that their way is the only way. That's right. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that their way is the only way. Mormons believe that their way is the right and only way. That's right. Roman Catholics are kind of all over the place, but the official <laughs> position, I mean, it it's, you have, depends on which Roman Catholic you ask, but the official church position is if you're not a member in active communion and in right standing in the Roman Catholic Church, then your soul is in eternal danger. Well, that's just basically saying it the same way. So we're not the only ones who make this claim of exclusivity or that we are the, uh, we have uh, the right way. In other words, if you're going to rule out people, you know, out of the discussion, you don't even matter. Your opinion is not even to be factored in because you're being intolerant and exclusivistic. Then you've got to rule out not all, not just all Bible-believing Christians, but literally billions of people on the planet who believe the same thing. And no one that I know of ever does that. No. We're the pincushion. You know, we're the bad boy or the bad girl. Um, evangelical Christians, which don't comprise a gigantic piece of the pie, we are majorly outnumbered, evangelical Christians are, by, for example, the adherents in the world to Islam. And so I, I just find that an incredibly kind of picky-choosy kind of way of, of go, taking a run at this question. And it's, it's a little bit like back in the day when I was doing a lot of writing on certain things that people were really not happy with me about. Um, they, uh, I, would, I would get the, the, the claim or the complaint, you know what, you're just being judgmental. And, and I went, and I would always say this, I, I trained myself to say this, you just were toward me. So that's always a kind of a... I think a, a, an enlightening, a helpful way, not in a mean sort of way. Yeah. Quit judging. You have to make a judgment and evaluation right. to do that sort of thing. Another so, thought yeah. that I had was that it, it, so much of, it doesn't really that matter that much what people think of us, right? We've kind of gotten over that. Yeah. At, at least I, I hope so. Um, kind of, sort of. <laughs> but for us, to, for us to move forward in this, we either have to give up our exclusivistic claims that our way is the way, 
or we have to come off as being living a life and having an attitude toward other people that is attractive and that is inviting and that is winsome if we if we come off as know-it-all or as holier than thou then they will immediately shut us off as a source of anything except irritation uh, I think that there's a middle ground and that is that we can retain our um, uh, strong belief in the exclusive claims of Christianity while at the same time um, presenting that and presenting ourselves in ways that are more approachable rather than less approachable. So I think a lot of it has to do with how we posture ourselves and the, our attitude of, of servanthood and humility and teachability and that kind of thing toward the people that we're trying to reach. Yeah. Some great summary points here would be to say something like this. Arrogance and intolerance isn't so much about having a belief or thinking you're right. It's more about how you hold or express that belief because th that way the adjective makes sense, right? Um, so I, like Wade was talking about, let's not add offense to the gospel. Uh, it's offensive already, but how you hold it and how you express it is the more important thing than that you have a position. Everybody's got a position. Everyone does. Another thing is, again, an incredibly important point to get on the front end of a discussion if they want to have a discussion about this is to say every religious position is exclusive. At some point, every group from cyclist to Baha'iist to those are the people that are the most inclusive to Hindus to Christians draws a line in the sand and says, if you step over here, you're not in anymore. Like, for example, a non-negotiable for a Hindu is karma. It's reincarnation, the idea of a soul. It's so non-negotiable that when that central, essential truth was fiddled with, it became Buddhism, was the thing birthed out of it by Siddhartha Gautama. So just remember, every position, including religious position, is exclusive at some point. Even the people that claim to accept everybody, the Baha'ist, exclude exclusivists. You can't get away from saying this is where our group is defined, and outside of that, you're no longer in the group in any sort of functional sense anymore. So Wave's right. Remember that every position's exclusive, every. Christians do get get riddled with this one and everyone's doing it but we're the ones that get hit with it um, and especially said the subset of evangelical Christians as well as we stick to it uh, the next is uh, the idea of arrogance only makes sense if we don't have any grounds for our claim we feel like we have grounds to say this we have good reason to take God seriously we have good reason to take Jesus seriously as God among us we have good reason to take the resurrection seriously we have good reason to take his followers seriously and so to that end, you have scriptures like Acts 4.12. Maybe the, the key scripture in John, John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Um, it's not one of many equally good ways, many equally good truths, and many equally good lives. This is the position of the Word of God, both Old and New Testament. Um, if you see on here, you can see some other scriptures. There's at least, at least a hundred or more scriptures of the New Testament on exclusivity. Now, that's a $10 word that just means at some point you say, Someone's out and someone's in. The way um, skeptics have tried to modify the exclusive claims of Christianity, they haven't done this in other religions as much, but they do it in ours, is they have three alternative positions. These are called, one's called universalism. That means it doesn't matter what you do or what you say here, God's love will win and you will get into heaven. Yeah. Universally, everyone in the universe will be redeemed by God's love and in heaven. Right now, again, there's there's a lot of people didn't like that because that means your free will and your life's meaningless here. They don't want to be forced into a, an eternity with a being they don't believe in or they don't like. Um, the second position is more the opposite position to exclusive, and it's called pluralism. Pluralism says the 
immediately self-contradictory phrase that all religious truths are equally valid or equally truthful. But that would also include the opposite of that phrase that's also a religious statement, so that it destroys itself because that's a religious version of relativism, pluralism, plurality of things, not an exclusivist uh, claim. The last is a, a, a fairly nuanced position called inclusivism. Inclusivism is the idea that if you believe in some version of a higher power, you're in. If you reject all higher power and supernatural claims, you're going to probably be annihilated in the afterlife, but you're, you're still, you're going to be in the fold if you have some God idea somewhere. Um, this is uh, one of the, the most prominent Catholic scholars that ever put this forward was a guy named Karl Rahner. He did a, he, he, he had a phrase called anonymous Christians. Anonymous because they don't seem to have any of the rudimentary features of being a Christian. They haven't gotten the email yet. <laughs> That's right. They haven't, uh, they haven't received the info yet. So if we're talking clueless Christians. He don't want to say that, but, um, but, yeah, they were upset with Rahner when he presented this at the Evangelical Philosophical Society and the Society of Biblical Scholars because they're like, no, we know. Don't tell me if I'm a Buddhist that I don't know my position. And don't tell me if I'm a Muslim I don't know the God I'm worshiping. It was insulting to them as he thought it was really inclusive. And uh, so the inclusivist position, the universalist position, and then the pluralist position. But, yeah, so Acts 4.12 here uh, on the lips of uh, Peter, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven by which men and women, that's men in the generic, must be saved. Paul in 1 Timothy 2.5 in the incredible series of, of letters about church leadership to his protégés, Timothy and Titus. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So uh, any comment on that before we move on? Wait. Yeah, I would because yeah. uh, any time that you do a personal witness yeah. to someone, and they bring this issue up about, well, you guys, you know. The whole issue is so not you guys. Yeah. I'm not the one that determines that person's eternal fate. Um, I, I'm not the one who set up the, the expectations, the requirements. So yeah. this is what I, I say to folks when they say, the, the you, guy, you guys, all you guys just believe, da-da-da-da-da. Mm -hmm. I say, look, I, what I believe did not originate with me. And, and the passage is in there, John 14, 6. Yes. This goes back to Jesus. Jesus is the one who said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. I did not make that up. In fact, if I was the one back in the day mm -hmm. uh, creating mm -hmm. this stuff out of whole cloth, I would have watered it down. Yes. Yeah, I would have tried to make it more inclusive. I would have made it. I would have lowered the bar so that anybody can crawl over it. I would have just made it yes. just so easy that we would never feel guilty about stuff or, you know, everybody gets to go to heaven and right, all right. that. Yeah. This is one of the weird things, by the way, about New Testament Christianity is who in the world, this stuff is so hard, who would have ever thought this up? Yeah. And yes. This is not thought up. This right. is revealed stuff. Right. This is God saying, here are my level of expectations. You don't tinker with them. You don't water them down. Yes. You either live by them or you don't live by them. But my point is, the big point is, tell people, look, Jesus is the one who said that. If you've got a problem with that, you don't have a problem with me. You've got a bigger problem than you realize you have a problem with him. Now, please, would you just take it up with him? And what you've done <laughs> is you've taken yourself out of the middleman position and put, in, put them directly in close proximity with Jesus. And that's when business gets done the Amen. best, Amen. is when it's a one-on-one -on -one thing and, and, and them and God, they and God are, are, are butting heads. You know who's going to win most times. So... That's kind of uh, my approach to it. And by the way, once you do that, you say, and by the way, just let me remind you that this is the one who loved you so much that he came here and took on the same flesh that you live in. I know you have problems, 
but he walked like we walk. And then he signed this, I'm the way, the truth, the life in his own blood. So he's the very one that you need to be taking this up with because he's the only one who actually personally died for you. He loves you that much. And leave them with that thought and just let them stew in their own stuff because that's what they need. They need to simmer uh, and not with you involved. And so throw it on to Jesus. He has got really, really broad shoulders. He's been doing this for a very long time and he can handle the scrutiny. He can handle the heat. Just put it on Jesus. He said it. He's good for it. He died for you. And there it is. Take it up with him. Absolutely. All right, cool. Excellent. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so we already went over the logic and common sense point that this is one of those things that, uh, that again, we didn't wave right back to it. Again, this is God's position. This is Jesus' claim. Um, but, you know, one thing that helps, too, in, when you're talking to somebody, just because I don't like something doesn't make it untrue, right? Just because I'm not personally, and, and we're both really careful when we, when we try to do witnessing that I'm not going to look more gracious and loving than God, but I didn't think of this. You know, this wasn't my position. But this, you know, you get it, too, when people say the God of the Old Testament is the wrathful one. The God of the New Testament is a little more tame, right? He's the more loving one. And nobody talked about hell more than Jesus, right? So right. of all biblical characters. So, yeah, and in the early second century, the church was already dealing with this, you know, the God of the Old Testament was wrathful, vengeful, vindictive, judgmental, mean-spirited, warlike, all of this. And then the God of the New Testament is the meek and mild and lowly and forgiving and humble and patient uh, Jesus and really I mean the best cure for that is just read the Bible yeah. you know because it's all over the place and that's weird yeah. and the first time it was tried by a guy named Marcion of Rome and Marcion of Rome had this attitude that the, the, the New Testament the God of the New Testament is a completely different God it's not just that he got better it's a whole different God and um, the, for that reason, the entire Old Testament, as well as a whole bunch of the New Testament, has got to be rejected. So the church um, rewarded Marcion for his innovation with excommunication. But we've still got Marcionites among us today who are still playing the either the that was then, this is now game. Or the, you know, um, God's not getting older, he's getting better. The new and improved, you know, version of, uh, of God. And um, it, biblically speaking, it's, it's really, really, really weird. And yet, you've got Christians, I meet them all over the place. met a guy in, in uh, Chicago one time, and we were waiting to get, we were all queued up in the hall, waiting to get into this big room where I was, like, supposed to be the next speaker or something like that. So he, he comes up to me, and he goes, yeah, he said, you know, for Christians, uh, modern-day Christians, the Old Testament's completely relevant and um, nothing's really relevant until midway about the, in, in the book of Acts and the letters of Paul. And I'm going, is there really reincarnation? I mean, is this Marcion returned, you know, um, from the dead? But um, I said, so you're telling me that the, the Gospels aren't relevant for a modern-day Christian? You know, the, the books that we learn the most about the Jesus, who is our example, that we're supposed to imitate. And he goes, yeah, that's right. And I went, sorry, I, I can't go there with you. <laughs> I think maybe he was, it was the inventor, the creator of his own religion, and he was the only adherent, or maybe. But, and that's, the, that's extreme, but there's a lot of other people somewhere between him and us. 
and him liking Dr. Luke's second volume really makes him sound like Marcion, That's right? He was a big problem. Luke guy. Yeah, you get rid of volume one, the gospel of Luke, and you keep volume two, the book of Acts. <laughs> he was even worse than Marcion. Right yeah, it's, it's even worse. Uh, okay, so the next one, the next question we're going to deal with is, aren't all religions the same? So in this statement, there's a second statement. Aren't all religions basically the same? And again, we could do a semester on this claim alone. It doesn't take a, even a strong, long internet search to realize they're not saying the same things. Religions aren't the same. They're just not saying the same claims. Now, there are some connecting points. I always say the same thing. The, our culture tells us religions are fundamentally the same and on the periphery, you know, and, and they're, they're, they're only different in some of the details. No, no, no. They're centrally different and similar in some of the periphery. So they're, they're in their modest, more modest, less central claims, there's a connection point. Give an example. So Buddhists believe that evil's everywhere present. Buddhists believe that, right? Christians believe that evil is everywhere present. Now, how we, how it got there, the answer to it, what it is in its ontology, radically different. But, okay, yeah, Muslims believe that human moral failure is a big problem. We believe that human moral failure is a big problem. But when it comes to the central idea, the differences are centrally located. Doctrine of God, doctrine of redemption, doctrine of the scripture, doctrine of the spirit. Uh, radically, radically different. And one of the ways, if I only have a little bit of time with somebody, is I say, well, you don't you can't believe that all religions are basically the same. And sometimes I use radical examples. I'll say, well, there, there are religions today. It only makes up about 2% of the world population where people rub excrement on themselves for worship. Do you believe that's the same as people, you know, washing up before they go into the sanctuary? Like, uh, I said there are religions that used to burn virgins instead of encourage virgins. You don't believe they're all the same. <laughs> now, those are extreme examples, right? Uh, you know, Hindu religion used to have sati, burning of a widow, and foot binding. We don't think that's equal to saying, hey, you know, keep yourself chaste before you're married. They're not similar. In other words, there are radically different claims at the level of, of theory and practice. Um, so this is the very first thing to get on the table is I, I put the, uh, I've got it in my, I almost brought it to show you. The Oxford uh, Dictionary of World Religions is a doorstop. And to say that all those differences are really just superficial is to show ignorance or be intentionally deceptive. Would you agree? Yes, and I, w I would. And I would say that this idea of uh, all religions are the same is a trap that we have created for ourselves in the West. We have so many bizarre attitudes and beliefs in the West that will not work anywhere else. I mean, just parachute into the Middle East and tell um, uh, Muslims and Jews all religions are the same, and they'll look at you like you completely, you, you've just totally lost it. Or parachute into India where you have uh, Hindus versus Sikhs versus Muslims and uh, the, uh, the, the physical conflict that goes on between these groups. And you realize really quick, it's kind of like uh, the idea of, of discrimination. In the, in the United States, we are the most r racist, most discriminatory group that has ever hit the face of the earth. They've never been to those beautiful, uh, sandy, white uh, beaches of the South Pacific Islands because those people will if if you make a mistake and you say to someone i uh, are you chamorro and they're actually marshallese or heaven forbid that you should say um uh, are you filipino they would that or just identify them incorrectly ponapean you know fijian they will kill you for that because they don't like each other 
and they discriminate against one another and they think that everybody thinks the next one is dumber than they am i mean than they are it's just <laughs> it's crazy i'm trying to think of my next point it's crazy <laughs> it happens when you get old it's crazy I mean, no, no. when you when, you're young. when you just get out of our little cultural you know insulated protected everybody's i'm okay you're okay kind of bubble the rest of the world will completely dismantle so much of the goofy ideas that we have been fed by our press, that we've been fed by our educational system, and that we are being kind of sort of, I don't know, brain dead, brainwashed by our society. You know, one size fits all, everybody gets to go to heaven, love wins, like you said, yeah. And it just won't work in the overwhelming majority of the rest of the world. Absolutely. Uh, two things to get on the table, too. An illustration might, uh, might be in order. Uh, a colleague of mine that does, uh, is, is part of a great apologetics organization out in Southern California, is, his name's Greg Kugel. He's uh, got a, if you go to his site, it's called str.org, fantastic site. Um, but he was on a panel discussion on television probably about, a, gosh, this is almost two decades ago. And it was, he was the only, there was, he was one Christian representative of the evangelical. There was a Roman Catholic female scholar. There was a Buddhist, a Sikh, uh, a Muslim, and a Hindu. And he, he got there early to the television station, and he told the atheistic cameraman, he said, watch, I'm going to make a claim that just we can't all be right. I'm not even going to defend Christianity. If they ask me, I'll defend it. But the main point I'm going to make is we can't all be right. And he told the cameraman, he goes, watch, they're going to they're gonna call me names because they won't have an argument back at it. And so when he got there, he starts and he goes, well, look, 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 I, I, I'm here as a representative of Christianity, one of two. And when he got his turn, he said, but I just want to say this. We can't all be right about these things. He goes, just take the eternity question. He goes, you're either going to be reincarnated, annihilated, go to Elysium with other gods and other, other beings like that, go to the astral plane, get absorbed into nothingness, or heaven or hell. But we're not all correct about that. And one by one, he's intolerant, he's arrogant, he's intolerant. Even the Roman Catholic scholar said, well, I would never be so intolerant as to say, he goes, I never, I just made the truth claim we can't all be right. I wasn't even talking about Jesus yet. He hadn't even gotten to the Jesus question yet. And he said the cameraman kept looking out and going, <laughs> just like, even the cameraman got it. The, the moderator got it. And, and then he said, look, I don't know, when did this discussion become about my character? I've been polite to everyone. I'm making a logical claim. And look, I could be wrong, but I'm trying to give you reasons for what I believe. I, I, you know, I, I, I'm just saying we can't all be right about these things. And they went right back at it, calling him names. So I, I just, I, I thought that'd be a decent example. Another that helps, that's helped me at least with some college students is to say, look, similarities and differences are important in anything. You know, how you handle differences, uh, even in relationships, are going to determine whether you keep friends or keep a spouse. Uh, similarities are very important, but differences are always more crucial. I usually use the aspirin and arsenic example. They're both small, chalky, white, circular, but the difference is more important than anything, right? One helps alleviate a headache. One permanently alleviates a headache for you. So you, you, you remember the differences matter, don't they? <laughs> they? They absolutely do. So also part yeah. of the scientific method that, you know, when you're comparing two or more things, that you do list the similarities, but you have to. It's a part of the scientific method. You're required to list the differences. Amen. 
Um, so when we're doing New Testament stuff and the whole idea about the uh, the dying, rising God myth and that kind of thing, then that, that the New Testament sort of took over all of these ideas. Well, yeah, no, but the dying, rising God myths of the ancient Near East um, are, uh, are all geared toward the agricultural cycle. Jesus is dead and raised from the dead within three days. There's no change in season. There's not any dying of nature and then coming back to life of nature. And you, you start listing the differences between Christianity and these. That's when the things begin to come into really clear focus. Somebody should do a PhD dissertation on that. That's what I did. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I did. I actually did. Wave didn't know that. That was not a paid advertisement. So he did not know that. So, uh, yeah, pretty cool. Um, yeah, last thing is this. This is a, a helpful thing as well. I've asked students before that have just struggled with this with family members to say, do you have an alternative? There, Jesus is making absolutely unique claims. Take another religious leader that say, I've risen from the dead and I'm paying for your sins. They're not there. So how do you propose to pay for your sins? If Jesus isn't the way, what do you think? And it's really interesting because they, they would say, well, can't you just forget it? <laughs> just let it go. Boys will be boys. Girls will be girls. But that's a great thing to say because the grace Jesus offers and the life he lived are absolutely, they're really unique, extraordinarily unique, um, his claims and his life. So again, resurrection tells us a number of things about death and eternity. Um, that just don't have a parallel in other religious leaders. They really, really don't. And a great, if you want to read a, a more thorough investigation of this, probably the world expert on the resurrection is, is, is my friend Gary, at Gary Habermas at Liberty University. He's got a free on his book, on, on his website, GaryHabermas.com, he's got a, a free ebook he published about just what, what can we get at regarding the claims of other religious leaders? Do they look like Jesus? And they look radically different, radically, radically different. And he looks at what we can determine about their teachings and their lives based on the text tradition as well as the content of what they said. And it's, you, you just see very, very quickly things are radically, radically different. All right, next, uh, next point, uh, the, the third one, and I got a little Greta Thunberg meme here for you guys. So uh, when a moral relativist criticizes you for being incorrect, you know, if you're a moral relativist, you're saying there's good is only per person or truth is only per person. If that's the case, then no one can ever correct you again if you think about it. If you believe that, uh, if Wave and I disagree about something and I'm a relativist, that's true to him and this is true to me. I can't call him out. And disagree with them anymore. That's getting back to what we talked about earlier. When somebody says, "Stop judging me," and they're judging you for judging them, so it, it's it's uh, it, yeah. You got to look at what Jesus was saying and in the context of what he was talking about in Matthew seven when you use the judge not. So um, the, the idea that uh, that truth is relative is an idea that eats itself. The way I, I describe it to students, and I, I want to hear Wave's take on this for sure. The way I describe it to students is, is it's wrong on steroids. So there's factually incorrect. Joe Mulvihill drives a Maserati. That's factually incorrect. You can go out in the parking lot, you can see that is absolutely untrue. Uh, no question at all. Um, you can look at my tax records. You can look at payments. There's no evidence at all that that statement matches reality. Wrong on steroids is Joe Mulvihill's the brother of an only child. That couldn't possibly be true. The statement destroys itself. Or how about this one? There's no sentence longer than three words. Or how about this one? There is no truth while maintaining that's true. Um, uh, or how about this one? This is a little more complex, but science is the only way to know if something's true. What experiment did you run to tell you that that was true? There's no experiment that tells you that statement's true. Um, uh, no one can know the mind of God. No one can know anything about God except that statement, right? 
uh, all scriptures open to interpretation. Does that include your interpretation? So, uh, you know, there are no absolutes. You seem absolutely certain about that. People shouldn't be certain about things. Are you certain? Do you see what I'm, you see where I'm going here? Wrong on steroids is what's called self-refuting. The ancients used to call this autophagata. It eats itself like a snake eating its own tail. So there's factually incorrect, and then there's couldn't possibly be true because the statement eats itself up. Comment at all, my friend. No, I think it's great to go to various, like you did, science and uh, a court of math. law, math, yeah, law, yeah. yes. Uh, and so, uh, in what world does two plus two not equal four? Right. And and you can just build an argument from there. Yes. It's, it's like I either exist or I don't exist. Can you see me? Yes. Can you touch me? Etc. Okay. So then sure. I exist. Yes. There's no other area of life right. that. Um, can function with that kind of um, illogic. Absolutely. And that's the reason that it's, it should. It mm. by, it, it, it's supposed to collapse upon itself. Right, right. So obviously our apprehension of certain truths is person relative. Some truths I don't know. Some truths Wave knows that I don't know. A lot of, there's a lot of truths out there. You know, smart in one area is idiotic in another area. But that's not to confuse the nature of what truth is, logic. It's, a, it's what's called what philosophers call a transitive relationship. It's whether your words and ideas match reality. There's a matchup going on. Just like you couldn't have the truth of larger than without two objects to compare, right? You have to, <laughs> this mic is smaller than the podium. Well, that, that works because you have the things in place you need to make that claim where your, your statement could match reality. So sometimes people get the fact that people are fallible and we don't know everything to take that to mean that's the way logic and truth and reality work in total. And that's just not the case. Sometimes I even use a scientific claim too, where they'll say, well, don't we believe in general and special relativity? And they, they pull that out to mean no one knows anything about anything at all, that there's no, there's no knowledge, there's no truth anywhere. So that can get really, that can get really, really sticky. But you know, years ago, I told my students I was going to try this, and I did. I took a day where I went out and tried moral and epistemological or truth-based relativism with people, just workaday world people. So I went to the bank, and they were just like, all right, well, you have $250 left in your account before the next, you know, before the two weeks are up. And I'd say, what if I thought, I told you my truth is it's 250000 And they started laughing at me. Uh, you know, if you say that, you know, you don't want to walk into a, a, a place like this with a relativistic builder. <laughs> That has a, you know, uh, I can remember there was a, a famous Christian evangelist that went and visited the first what they called postmodern relativistic work of architecture, POMO architecture, and you walked into it and he said, were the builders relativistic? Because I don't want to walk in a place where they thought foundation, no foundation, tomato, tomato. So nobody lives this way. So two reasons to reject relativism is one, people might confuse our fallible partial apprehension with no one's right about anything and make a totalizing claim. It's just not true. You don't have to have 100% certainty to know something. Um, but the main points of rejecting moral uh, relativism is the idea, one, it destroys itself. It's not just wrong. It's wrong on steroids. It's self-defeating. Uh, the other is no one really lives by it. You always got to ask about somebody, whether someone, it's something they believe is true, is true in their life by the way they live it out, right? We want to avoid hypocrisy and that sort of thing. So we want to be, we want to be uh, sure that we're not, we're not doing this kind of, uh, this two-step. Go ahead, Wayne. You know, I, th I think of uh, certain politicians, and they love to speak out of both sides of their mouth, but they're going to do it on this too because they will say, look, don't impose your beliefs, don't impose your, you know, standards or whatever. But then as soon as it gets to their front door, hey, 
don't you steal anything that belongs to me. Don't you mess with my kids. Don't take my wife. Don't uh, defeat me in an election or whatever. It, it, some of the folks who, who grew up at the feet of Oprah Winfrey, who I wrote a uh, chapter in a book on um, uh, how, to, uh, how to relate to postmoderns, and I brought up this, this dictum of Oprah Winfrey that there, there is no one way to God. There are literally thousands of ways. So you have these people who are her acolytes. You know, they, they've been so influenced, and then they get into political office, and they talk about, you know, we're not going to take, you know, the level of morality of the Judeo-Christian ethic or whatever and superimpose that on the entire society. And in the very next speech or the very sometimes the very next sentence, they say, well, we're not going to do this, that, or the other. Oh, that would just be wrong. And I'm going, where's your standard of measurement for wrong? Where did that come from? Because you've just made some sort of maybe you switched, you know, between the Judeo-Christian ethic and then what you've learned from Oprah. The gospel according to Oprah, um, and uh, it, it simply it's, it's not a sustainable argument. Uh, there's such an internal inconsistency in this whole attitude. It, it's it, you're eventually going to substitute something yes. in that's, its place. That's a great lead into this la- this next slide because you you smuggle in certainty, absolutes, and truth when you deny it because <laughs> you're saying that it's that statement is true. Um, Look at this. I'm going to read this out to you and see, see if you can tell me what's wrong with this. This is from a spiritualist. And by the way, there's a whole lot of literature on this subject right now. Not just Rob Bell. We bagged on him and Oprah. But you have a guy named Eckhart Tolle, right, who's a spiritualist. Very, very popular. Deepak Chopra is still pretty popular. Even these progressive Christians that used to be called emergent Christians. Brian McLaren, a, guy named, a, a, a monk named Richard Rohr, a guy named Philip Gully, a pastor in, in, in Southern California named Richard uh, 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 um, Philip Gully. Listen to uh, Sri Chinmoy here. Listen to this quote. Tell me what's wrong with it. False religions will find fault with other religions. They will say that theirs is the only valid religion and their prophet's the only savior. But a true religion will feel that all prophets are the savior of mankind. Now, this gets applause on Oprah, but what's wrong with it? He's saying which religion's the true religion by telling you anybody that thinks they have the true religion's wrong. So it's, you, you, it always eats itself. Always, always, always. Something that your children were taught at university was called the parable of the elephants. The parable of the elephants. Um, or the parable of the elephant and the blind men. So this is a parable used by many, many people in this lane against exclusivism. But it's basically, here's the parable. A Raja has a, a gentleman that's caught an elephant for the first time and he's never seen one. He's heard about it. He's read about elephants, but he sees one. He said, this is an elephant. And the Raja's like, this is amazing. This is a mag- majestic creature. And the Raja has six blind men that are employed by him, and he has them blind so they won't go after his concubines and wives. And the Raja says, bring my, bring my wise men in who have also not experienced an elephant and have them guess what it is. And each blind man gropes and feels the elephant. One says elephant means rope. He feels the tail. The other says elephant means wall and feels the side of the elephant. Another says elephant means tree trunk, right, because he feels the leg. Another says elephant means hose, feels it, right? And they say, see, that's what we're like because God's not physically available for us to physically see that's what we that that's we're in that position too. We're all groping at God and have an incomplete picture of who He is. Now, immediately, the problem with the parable. I had a guy at the uh, a, a student at the University of Georgia come forward at the mic and just tell the whole parable. I was like, "Is there a question in here? It's supposed to be a question." Um, but gave the parable that he had gotten in his comparative religions class. The question I asked him was, "Who's right, the blind men or the Raja?" 
right? The whole thing turns on a, a view of the reality of the elephant that, that can inform the blind men. The blind men, the whole idea is the blind men aren't right. And there's someone that can have a view of the elephant to correct the inadequate interpretations. So the very point of the parable, because again, it's based in relativism, which always destroys itself, can't work. In other words, if there's no Raja and there's no elephant, there's no parable, right? So you can say, well, uh, the blind men are right. It really isn't anything. It's like, oh, then there's no elephant there? Or there's no Raja to correct them? Uh, so, so the whole parable doesn't even work, right? That parable ends up showing there's a way to get at least, even if you don't know everything about elephants and where they came from, there's a way to get a view of spiritual realities that can correct other views. And that's what they're doing with this parable is trying to correct your exclusivist view. But even in the parable itself, the Raja can come correct the blind men. <laughs> Or the reality of the elephant can correct the blind men when they, if they were able to see in some way. So even the parable doesn't get where you get you where you want to go. The, it, would you agree? Yeah, the, the presence of the um, of the elephant provides for you a, a standard of objectivity, mm. and mm. Uh, despite the fact that each of the blind men described the elephant differently, it doesn't change the nature of the elephant. Absolutely. The elephant is still looks exactly the way he did when he's brought into the room, same size, has the same features. It, it's, our misperception mm. does not alter reality. Absolutely. Yeah, this is what drove me crazy reading The Pope of Atheism, Dawkins' book back in 03, The God Delusion. I mean, he was in a, a, he wouldn't call it a debate, but he was in a dialogue with a, a, a brilliant Christian with two PhDs at Oxford named Alistair McGrath, brilliant Christian historian. But he said, Richard, you're a moral relativist, right? You're, and he's like, yes, I think that our genes kind of make us feel like we're moral. And now at that point, I'm, you know, I'd have a flair for the theatrical. I would have held his book up and torn out half of his book, God Delusion, because he makes, he's against dangerous ideas, but what's a dangerous idea? Mm -hmm. To a moral relativist, a dangerous idea is something that worked really well for him. Um, so dangerous ideas are only for your perspective, from your perspective, dangerous, Richard. So you can't be a moral relativist and make a point about how the Bible's immoral, God's immoral, I don't like him, he's a genocidal, pestilential, you know, megalomaniac in the Old Testament if you think that that's, those are just kind of created positions and categories that are per-person relative. So that's why I put the, the Dawkins meme up there for you guys. I'm against dangerous ideas, but I'm a moral relativist. So, you know, he makes all these moral claims against God and the Bible, but then says, well, there's no moral reality, really, because he's a thoroughgoing naturalist. Yeah. yeah, so uh, great stuff. All right, now this one, we should probably do a whole segment, but we're going to do our very best here. This last fourth question, okay, fine, I get it. I, I, maybe I spoke out of turn, and our culture's on the wrong track with some of these ideas. But isn't it unfair? Isn't God right there? If Christ is the only way, isn't that unfair? That's not equitable of God uh, to do this. Now, I'm going to put this on you guys. What, what do you think? How would you, how do you think you'd respond to this sort of thing? Because this, again, we could do a whole segment on, on this question. Um, the man on the desert island problem. Uh, you know, the, what, what used to be called by some French intellectuals the noble savage. You know, this, an aboriginal in central Australia that never gets the gospel or missionary. Um, but, you know, it's, it's actually broader than just that, if you think about it. If you, if you think deeply about this subject, it's not just somebody who hadn't gotten the gospel helicoptered in or a missionary. Um, it, it's also uh, infants that can't really cognitively capture mentally challenged people. It's also Old Testament prophets and Old Testament Jews. Those sort of, so it's actually a lot bigger than just someone who's someplace. Now, again, the, the Calvinist answer generally, this is a crude summary, is God... A, he knew they were gonna, not going to accept him, you know, and there are some that are, that are they're pre, pre, 
<laughs> pre-accepted or pre-rejected in God. So that's the that's a very a clean <laughs> a, a clean, but I'm not sure solution that everybody. Um, the other position tends to be it's not necessarily Arminian. The other position tends to be um, God will judge those people based on the amount of uh, what, the amount of revelation they were given. They will still have the, uh, the God will still graciously apply the merits of Jesus Christ to someone. Um, uh, even if no one approaches them and they never have a gospel, they'll be judged based on God's omniscience and His and 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 He knows better than we do. Now, again, that I don't think that undermines missions. I was talking to Pastor Russ about this. He thinks that second position undermines missions because why go tell anybody about it if God will judge them based on the amount of revelation they've got? Um, now, I think that's a way you can be certain, right? You can be certain they're not rejecting Jesus and they're not. So um, that that's a way where you can go out there and do that sort of thing. But there's no position that's clean of this thing, but wave, I will pass this wonderfully to you about the unfair, unjust accusation. Boy, I love this passage because it's the one that gets me in the most trouble. <laughs> it means that you get to have the most fun, right? There you go. <laughs> there, there, are, there are passages in the Bible that I still struggle with. Yes, difficult. And uh, one of those, I think you mentioned in fact, this is where I wrote down these passages at the top, you know, and then toward the end of the handout, you quote these very passages. But, you know, you got one passage in, um, the, uh, in the book of Acts where Paul is talking to uh, people in Athens, and he says that he made from one, from, from one every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and boundaries and that they should seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us because in him we live and move and exist and even as one of your own poets have said we are also uh, his offspring so Paul is saying that there are there's this even this pagan inclination to seek God and he says in Acts 17 that perhaps we might find him. And those that, you know, like are inclined toward Pastor Russ's position, they have to struggle with this too. They can't clip it out of their Bible just because it's, um, to quote um, uh, St. Al of Gore again, an inconvenient truth. Um, <laughs> right? Then you have another passage, and, and, and you cited this one as well, Romans chapter 1. And in Romans chapter 1, you have this passage where Paul is talking about the power of general revelation, of the revelation of the created order uh, to reveal God. And um, it says that uh, since creation, the creation of the world, Romans 1.20, uh, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes his eternal power, his divine nature, they've been clearly seen and understood by what has been made so that then people in the world, they are without excuse. So um, can you find God on the desert island with no missionary, no Bible, no preaching, uh, no, uh, no anything? Um, and then if that's possible, does that actually hinder mission? To me, the only thing that would hinder mission is if you didn't take the words of Jesus seriously, go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Um, 
this is not something that we do because we feel like it or become, because we've become philosophically convinced or whatever. We do it because we're under commandment. This is divine command. It's like be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. It's the only commandment that human beings have ever kept very well to the tune of about seven plus billion people on the planet, right? <laughs> but, so it's divine command, and he's not going to take it back. Go and preach, and it, it's supposed to be to every creature. So I don't do it because I'm, it's convenient or because I feel like it or it makes me feel good if I do do it. I do it because um, Jesus commanded it. That's right. And things to get on the table in a discussion like this, it's okay to say, hey, I, I this side of eternity, I don't know how to work this thing out. I, I just know what we've been told to do and what his followers did. You can say things like this, though. God doesn't owe anybody grace. That's really, that can be really offensive right. to Westerners. God doesn't owe you grace. And we're not saved because we assented. We're saved because we said yes to the gift because we're sinners, right? That's, that's the idea is that we are, that this is an answer to a, a spiritual cancer in us. This isn't because we were somehow the favored group that somehow it, it's we it's one 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 beggar telling another beggar where there's some bread. Um, this is something I, I something that's that is very easy to understand about the human race is we're fallen and sinful. We don't even keep our own moral code well. We 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 do not even live up to our own standards very well at all. So some things to keep on the table is that I mean even he quoted Romans 1 when you get to Romans 2 it gets even more confusing for the great evangelist where he says you know you know you Jews don't act like you got it all together there are Gentiles that keep the moral law better than you do and, you know he's going wait a second because they have the moral law within so um so the the idea here is that look even if we can't get to a a, a distinct answer um as far as the, the the internal mechanics of every salvation on the planet we can say this won't what Abraham asked when he was bartering with God or at least felt like on his end he was bartering with God in Genesis won't the creator of the universe do what's right won't God do what's just are you confident that God knows whether they would have accepted or not God knows who to apply salvation to so that somebody who would have really really wanted to be in the bosom uh, of, of, of God's presence and had Jesus the Holy Spirit he'll know he knows better than we do so he can work out the afterlife thing much better than we can. So that's not, a, that's not a dodge. It's just saying there's some things that are they're difficult passages that are inscrutable to us, and not knowing exactly how the mechanics work isn't going to prevent you getting to heaven. But on, on, the, on the issue of someone else, we have a God we can appeal to that knows better than we do. Juke, go ahead. Yes. Yes. Do you see what he's saying? That Juke said, doesn't that assume the questioner is more fair than God? Yeah. When somebody says these sort of things, I would have never thought of hell if I was God. They're acting more gracious, fair, and equitable than the being who created the concepts fair, equitable, and, and gave us grace. So, yeah, you are saying that. They may not outright say it, but you are assuming that. I would have done it different if I were God, right? So, which is, again, a, a, it's, a, it's a more strong artifact of thought in our age than any other. And we've talked about that with the problem of evil as well. Any question or comment, uh, as we, it's 1030, as we close down, any, anybody have anything they want to add or something they feel the Holy Spirit wants them to say out loud um, here in a group of gathered body of believers? Yeah, Elizabeth, go ahead. Yeah, and we may, they may not even call it the same. They might have not have the word in Greek, Christos, or yes. Messiah in right. Hebrew. Um, they may not have that word. They may use some other word. It's going to be a word in their language, obviously, not Greek or Hebrew, which they don't know. Um, but it, it, that's what Paul is arguing in Acts chapter, uh, Acts chapter 17, that they might grope for him and perhaps find him. 
because God's not far from any of us. So I, I, I do struggle with the, the, the thing that Russ is, is struggling with. I, I still struggle with that. I'm, I, I wonder, okay, well, then wouldn't it be better if we just didn't preach in the gospel to these other people? Because then if they reject, then they're responsible for, for having heard. My own conclusion to that is there's a, with greater, a greater amount of revelation then there's a greater chance that they are that there's more stuff around that they've heard that's yes. in their heart that the holy spirit can use to convict them to woo them to draw them and that there's a greater chance not a lesser chance that their hearts are going to be made right and they're going to be reconnected with their maker uh than if we keep the goodies to ourselves and don't go and don't say Absolutely. Don't live, don't preach, don't and, missionize. And I think also that you, I, I'm so convinced that choice is a crucial aspect of love, any love relationship, your your decisions, not not to overplay them, but that's that's also, I think we're better off doing than not doing. Do you, do you have a follow-up real quick? Wider frame of reference. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You, you, that's what we're both trying to say. <laughs> we're not up to the task of figuring out those sort of mechanics of salvation. We just don't want it to look like a dodge or a defeater. You're right. You see in the sciences, people don't go, well, I take this little sample set, and that means I'm going to make a sweeping claim about every. You know what I'm saying? About everything. Same thing. If somebody says, oh, I don't evangelize because of the fate of the unevangelized, or I don't want to mess up the process, or um, it, it, it does look like there's an interesting dynamic of cooperation <laughs> with the Holy Spirit with these fallible, flawed human beings that we call followers of Jesus so uh, uh, not always clean not only know where our will ends and his his sovereignty begins but that's a that's a it, it's a great question it's a great great one to think about let me pray us out after go ahead wait yeah go ahead one last yes. thing is the consistency of God's created order um, God created this world and our minds to interact requiring constant choice what am I going to eat today? What am I going to wear? What kind of car am I going to buy? Who am I going to marry? What job am I going to take? What school am I, am I going to go to? Life is absolutely full of choice. This is easy for an Arminian to say, not so much for a Calvinist, but life is full of choices. God created us and put us in this biosphere as, as being free moral agents who have the ability to and the responsibility to choose. So it's not going to be any different when we're talking about, you know, um, what kind of diet we're going to, what kind of exercise regimen or, you know, whatever, how, who are we going to hang out with, what house to buy. It's not, it can't be any different than in terms of this pursuit of truth. There have to be, logically speaking, it's in every other area of life, logically speaking, it has to involve choice. And God just in a really gracious way he gives us the choice. He makes the choice, I think, incredibly clear. Yes. And he gives us the ability to make the choice. So how can you, we convict God of gaming us, of not being fair, um, when this is the way his created order is set up, and then he created it in such a way that it's, it's, it functions correctly. Amen. It's supposed to, anyway. Would you pray us out? That was a great end. I no, love let's that. Let's do. Yes. Let's you pray, y'all. Father, we want to give you thanks that you are a God of truth. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God who delights to communicate that truth to human beings. Uh, we even thank you, Lord, that you've made us a part of that truth community and that you have enabled us, empowered us 
to communicate that truth to other people who need to be um, uh, aware of it, confronted with it. And so uh, we ask for a fresh uh, empowerment of your spirit to do what you've called us to do and to live the lives that you've called us to live because we know without that, then that we have no platform from which to speak. So, uh, Lord, would, would you just come alongside of us and empower us to do what you've called us to do? You promised you'd do it, and, and we're trusting you to do it. And then for all of those, Lord God, that are out there who are legitimately struggling with these things, um, we pray that you would help remove some of the roadblocks and that you would even use us to remove some of those and give folks out there an opportunity to do one-on-one, face-to-face business with you. Um, go with us in your strength and your presence and in the truth that you've revealed to us to walk in this week as we um, encounter our world and as we are your message bearers. We ask it in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. 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 God bless you all.